Are we on? Okay, thank you guys. Um, next up, uh, we have Dane Lembrick. Um, he's joining us from <coughs> Michigan to talk about rewards. Dane, come on up. Good evening, guys. Good evening. It's exciting to be down here in Arizona. Awful warm, not as warm as Michigan. Um, yeah. So, we're going to talk about reward tonight, namely eternal reward. Um, in my meditation on this and in discussing this with other, with other men, and also from my own experience, I found reward to be a tricky topic in the, uh, the life of the believing Christian. I find that our churches often don't teach it, and the world doesn't confirm our experience in it, and our church even maybe thinks that it's not a noble purpose or not a noble motivation. And I think our world also colors our view of reward and makes it look dirty. And I think that if we really look at what the Bible has to say about reward, we get a, a clear picture of what it is. So, without further ado, we're going to take a look tonight at what the Bible has to say about reward. Now, in my study of reward, I distilled all of my thinking down into a single idea, and that idea is this, that God uses man's innate desire for reward to motivate each individual believer to live their earthly lives sacrificially for the hope of eternal gain. And so, to discuss that and flesh out that idea further, we're going to talk about three different areas of eternal reward. We're going to talk about what eternal reward is, we're going to talk about why God uses eternal rewards, and we're going to talk about how God distributes eternal rewards. So first, I'd like to take a look at how rewards are defined. And I'm going to start out with how the world defines reward. Because that often colors how we view reward. That was how we were often raised, and that's what we go out into the workplace and see every day. Uh, interestingly enough, the Bible has some commentary about how man defines reward. So, my faithful reader, wherever he is, Mr. Divine, if you would grab Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 for me. Oh. Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, Thus says the Lord, not, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let, the, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So there are three things that this passage tells us that man prefers to boast in over boasting in God. It says those three things are wealth, wisdom, and power. Those are the things that man takes pride in. Those are the things that man gives his life in exchange for. And in this passage, it's telling us that those things are not a valid vision of reward. But that's what our experience confirms. That's what our workplaces tell us that they are. That's what our maybe we've been raised to believe. The Bible also has some commentary on what, those, what that definition of reward is. So, um, Kevin, if you would grab Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11. But before you do that, sorry. 
This is King Solomon speaking um, to preface this verse. King Solomon went out to see what success really was. He went out and he amassed for himself great wealth. He amassed great power and great knowledge. And this is the sum total of all of that. This is his opinion on what all of that earned for him. Can you read? Ecclesiastes 2, 9-11. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. <coughs> Thus I considered all my activities with my hands, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So, he observes that amassing all of those things for himself, they were only temporary, while they did please him for a time, that pleasure didn't last. They did not satisfy him. So, that's what the world tells us reward is. And the Bible tells us that that is not reward. It doesn't satisfy us. And you'll just continue running after it like chasing after the wind. There's no end to amassing those things. So now let's take a look at how God defines reward. This is, a, um, this is a fairly conceptual talk that I'm giving, talking about ideas here. And because of that, I want to read real quickly. Uh, could you take Romans uh, 12, 2 for me? Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect contrasting these two ideas in my talk tonight, right here at the beginning, between man's idea of reward and God's idea of reward. Because God tells us to transform our minds. He wants us to take a look at what the world says and compare it to what he says and be transformed to it, not to be conformed to what the world says. So, Matthew chapter 6 is a pretty big treatise on reward. We're going to look at that chapter pretty much in whole tonight during our discussion. Um, I'm going to start out with uh, chapter, verses 19 through uh, 21. Those are, I think, the pivotal verses of this chapter, and we're going to refer to them as we go through our discussion tonight. So, uh, if you could... Uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, God defines reward here. And as God defines what treasure is, he's saying that our treasure is heavenly. It's in heaven. To contrast, it's not on earth. In this verse, he also says that our reward is eternal. It lasts forever. He says it's incorruptible. Nothing can defile it. No one can take it from us. No one, the um, destructive forces of the earth don't ruin it. 
much like the other reward that we accrue? While he doesn't quite say it, I think it's worth it to note that it's unlimited because it's being given by God. We're not competing with other men for it. Could you um, also read for me, uh, Kevin, Revelation 22, 12, to get some more concept on reward here? Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. That's Jesus speaking there. Jesus is saying that he is the one who determines reward. And he also tells us that it's yet to be fully revealed. That we catch glimpses of it, and I think we've discussed it earlier today, that God is fairly quiet on what reward looks like. Um, This is about the closest ideas that we get as to what God's reward looks like. Are there any questions thus far? All right. Yes, Gene. Was that Revelation address? Revelation uh, 22.12. All right. Let's move on. As we talk about reward tonight, I want to contrast two different concepts here. I want to contrast grace and works, because we're going to be spending a tremendous amount of time here on works. So I want us to understand where grace fits in with this and how grace is separate from this. Salvation, men, is granted to us by the grace of God. It's not about our works. However, rewards are by our effort. God rewards us based on what we do here on earth. Are there any questions there? All right. So that is how God defines reward. I'm going to move on here to that answers the how, um, sorry, what reward is. Now let's ask, how does God determine reward for us? Or sorry, why does God use reward for us? God uses reward to motivate believers to acts of righteousness. Now why is this motive good? Because this is, I think this motive is where men get a little confused on why does God use reward? And the motive for reward often seems dirty in our society because, again, we look at it from a limited resources perspective that I'm competing with other men for resources that are limited, and it's my selfishness that causes me to desire them. Whereas when we're talking about God, um, we're talking about an unlimited source of reward. And so that's why we're going to spend a lot of time talking about motivation. Uh, So, let's start out by talking about motivation for reward, and we'll talk about God. God is motivated by gain. Kevin, can you read for me Isaiah 46, 9 through 11? Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying... 
My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. All right. God says that he will accomplish all of his good pleasure. That word for good pleasure, uh, that word for good pleasure means what God views to be gain, or what God values. That is what he is motivated by. That is what he does in this earth. As he said, he calls a bird of prey, he sends a man, all for his good pleasure. All for what he defines as valuable or rewarding. So the reason I say that God's motivated by reward is because man is created in the image of God and because of that, man is motivated by reward or motivated by gain. God shows us this, that God motivates men by gain throughout the entire Bible, throughout the Old and New Testaments. He shows us in uh, Genesis 17, 1 through 8, that's where uh, God is talking to Abraham. God is telling Abraham that he is going to make him a mighty nation. He's going to give him the land of Israel. He also t- speaks in Leviticus 26, 3 through 12. Um, this is uh, Moses talking, or God talking through Moses, where he's telling them if the people are willing to obey, then he will prosper them and make them a great nation, that he will take care of them. Would you uh, read for me, Kevin, Matthew 5, 11 and 12? Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here, God's telling us that we are to be his representatives, but being representatives of him means that we are going to open ourselves up to ridicule. And so he says, great is your reward in heaven for opening yourself up to ridicule. I mean, it takes a lot of gall to go out and do something knowing that you could very well be insulted for it. You have to give up your own pride to go and take a chance to serve our Savior. So that's why he he says it's rewarding, it's valuable, it's eternally valuable. Could you uh, also tell us, sorry, could you grab Luke uh, 6.35 for me, Kevin? Luke 6.35? Yeah. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Another example here, God gives us to be nice to those who aren't nice to us. That's awful tricky. However, God tells us there's reward in that. He again, he attaches reward as a motivation for doing something that would normally be next to impossible to do. Are there any questions about this so far? So, we're going to read now Matthew 6, 1 through 8, and uh, verses 16 and 18. God's going to talk about how, reward, how mo- our motivations can get confused. 
So, uh, Kevin, can you uh, read that for me? Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that, may, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In these verses, Jesus describes three different actions that can accrue eternal rewards to us. These aren't the whole list, but these are just three examples. They're giving, fasting, and prayer. Now, Jesus says these can each be done for two different motivations. One, they can be done for eternal gain. Or two, they can be done for temporal reward. In this case, the honor and respect of men. So, why did Jesus use these examples? These are pretty obscure examples. He could have used other ones. My speculation on this is because these actions in and of themselves don't accrue any temporal reward or seem to have any temporal value. So that leaves us to only one motivation, which is to have the respect of other men. And also, we, the reason he might note these is because in this section, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is redefining obedience, not just to the letter of the law, but to the spirit of the law. He's redefining old commands, such as adultery, and equating adultery to not just sleeping with another woman, but to looking at her with lust and committing adultery in our hearts. He's speaking now more to the spirit of the laws rather than just obeying them, obeying the letter. So are there any questions about this? So that is how our motivations can be muddled between an eternal motivation and a temporal motivation. Essentially doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. So why do I spend all this time talking about motivation? Why is motivation so important? And that's because we as men and women, as people, we're all motivated in the direction of what we define to be hope, or another way, or what we define to be gain. Our motivation reveals those things in our lives. And also, if we think back to uh, verses 19 through 21, where he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he is commanding us to be motivated by gain. So let's talk a little bit about our hope. Let's define hope a little bit. 
Um, could you grab uh, Romans 8, 24 and 25 for me, Kevin? Romans 8, 24 and 25. Yeah. For, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly, we wait eagerly for it. So when we hope, we're hoping the direction of something that is gain. Hope is always in the direction of something that we view as gain. We don't hope to lose money in the stock market. Since this is in our mind, and since we're redefining how we think about these concepts, some of the best ways to some of the best ways to apply this is to rethink what we're thinking or what we what we generally hold to be true. So we need to ask ourselves some rhetorical questions to kind of get down to the essence of uh, how we think. So that's what that's what these are for. What do you set your hope on? What motivates you? And are eternal rewards part of that picture? Are there any questions up to this point? All right, moving on. So we see that God uses reward to motivate believers. Now, I'm going to talk about how God uses reward to focus believers. And that focus has to do with our hope. So let's talk about Matthew 6, 21 through 34. Could you grab that for me, Kevin? What's that? No, just mic on? Okay. Matthew 6, 21 to 34. Yeah. For where your, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then when your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the, gra- clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For Gentiles eagerly seek these things, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day have a has enough trouble of its own. All right. So, in that section, the first thing that it tells us, or that we read, is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That 
is where our focus is. Where our treasure is is where our focus is. What we define to be reward is what we're going to focus our lives on. It also tells us that we are going to serve the provider of our hopes. Since God provides eternal reward, that is why if we're motivated and we seek it, that it's a valid motivation. Also why it's okay to have a temporal hope as long as you understand that your provider is God and that he is the one who can grant it and that he's the one who determines what that looks like. And he also says you can only serve one provider of your hope. Either God, and in this passage it's either God or wealth, but it could be your boss, it could be your work, your wife or your family. You could serve them since you would believe you could believe that they would provide you what you need. However, God tells us that he's the one who provides us what he what we need. And he spends a good portion of that chapter telling us just how he provides for the world who doesn't worry about anything. Interesting thing about worry is that worry, the word, the root word for worry means a need that distracts or a distraction. That worry can can help blind our focus and help blind our hope. God spends a tremendous amount of time assuring us that if we refocus ourselves on his kingdom, that he'll take care of our temporal needs. So that's how our hope can get blinded. We can misplace it in something else, or we can start to worry, and worry identifies that maybe our hope isn't in the right spot. So we're going to talk about the cure for the blur that we discussed in that previous section. I... um. I've worn corrective lenses since I was six years old, and I've always had tremendously bad vision. When I take these things off, everything's blurry. They're all just a bunch of blobs. And I'm sure a lot of you probably wear corrective lenses and know what that's like. Well, what the lenses do is they just focus the light into our eyes. And in the same way, if we change our thinking, we can help focus our lives using the hope that God gives us through eternal reward. So. The cure for blurry vision is to set our hope on the treasure in heaven. It's also to seek the kingdom of heaven. And that sounds like a fairly nebulous concept, but there are two ways I can say that we seek the kingdom of heaven, and that is obeying God's commands, and that is honoring him through the circumstances through which he brings us. Are there any questions or comments? Well, we're going to move into another rhetorical question section. So, as we examine our lives, let's ask ourselves, what needs distract me from serving God? What, in the last 24 hours of our lives has produced for us worry and anxiety? And are there any areas in our lives where we're not letting God be our provider? This is not an easy concept. And I I come here 
tonight not to speak to you as someone who's mastered this concept, but as someone who struggles with this concept every day. Time and time again, I have to refocus myself on what I, what I, what I think, believe to be valuable. And that what I believe to be valuable moves on me every single minute of every single day. So the only way I can keep that in focus is to try to remember and try to keep asking myself these questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I motivated by? So that is those two things, to focus us and to motivate us, is why God uses eternal reward. Now I'm going to move into how God uses eternal reward in our lives. The world tells us that we earn reward through how we spend our time, our talent, and how productive we are. However, God doesn't determine reward in this way. God determines reward based on our faithfulness to opportunity. Since he's given us our time, talent, and productivity by his grace, he doesn't hold against us our usage of those things in determining our reward. There are some of us who will serve in the kingdom longer than others. There are some of us who are more talented than others. There are some of us who work harder than others. However, God doesn't use those things to hobble us or to change how we're rewarded. We'll be rewarded simply based on how we use and how faithful we are in using those things to serve him. Are there any questions or comments on that? Well then, since God bases our reward on our faithfulness to opportunity, let's talk about how God determines faithfulness. God determines faithfulness on how we handle our circumstances. And our circumstances are simply how we steward the providentially given resources that he's given us. How we steward our time, talent, and resources. He also determines our faithfulness based on our obedience. Based on how we obey the commands of God and based on how we live out East squares we've talked about tonight. How we give our, ourselves in exchange for evangelism and edification of others. And one thing I want to observe is that reward requires sacrifice. We're going to have to give up something in this life for return in heaven. So this leads me to some more questions that we can ask ourselves. How am I being faithful with the opportunity that, opportunities that God are give, is giving me? And then, what is one thing that we could do today that would help me be more faithful to God? Gentlemen, we have a unique time to reflect on how our lives are accruing reward here in just a little bit as we go into our time of uh, communion. 
And I think that we can use some of these questions to help fuel our thinking for that time, maybe help reveal how we have uh, may have even sinned in these areas. So are, are there any questions about that? Yeah. Number 10. Dane, should we be, you say we should be motivated by rewards. Should we be doing good works purposefully to store up these rewards? Yes. That, that can was. You, oh, yep. Can you explain how you might do that? Sure. Um, while it's difficult to see exactly what rewards we'd store up, I mean, that's why we're motivated to go out and evangelize the lost. Take an opportunity with someone at work. You know, it might risk my relationship with them, um, it risks me being ridiculed, but um, it, turns, it accrues eternal reward for me. So it gives me an opportunity to uh, store up reward for myself in heaven. I just never put that at the forefront of my mind that I'm going to go out and do it for a reward's sake. I might be motivated, at least, you know, and maybe I have to evaluate really my motivation sure. more uh, truthfully, but uh, just because I am commanded to, so I purposefully will will go out and, and try and do so, but I know that I'm getting a reward on the back end, but it's never been what I perceived as, as the reason for me to go out and do such a thing. Yeah, I mean, we clearly see Jesus commanding us to do it that way as well. I mean, there are definitely other motivations that God uses in our lives. This is definitely one of them. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, so far, I haven't dealt with First Corinthians three. I'm sure you're familiar with it with rewards. But would you like to comment yeah. on that? Or are you going to? Uh, could you comment on that section on rewards? Absolutely. Um, what a what about it? Particular. Actually, would you, would you want to read that section for us? I'd be happy. To. Let's let's go for it. First Corinthians three. Uh, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds upon that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Yes, sir. So we see here Paul 
equating himself to a master builder, laying the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, in a man's life. And then that man builds on that foundation one of two things, gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, and straw. And so God tests those things, and what comes out on the other side is what lasts. The wood, hay, and the straw burns up. All that you're left with is the gold, silver, and precious stones. That's, uh, that's what it's going to look like when we get to heaven. Uh, when Jesus goes and gives us a reward, he's going to look at the sum total of our life and see where we invested in our own lives and just wood, hay, and stubble and things that are meaningless. And hopefully the outcome will be gold, silver, and precious stones, something that's of value. That, that's the eternal reward that we're talking about here tonight. That's why we work hard to accrue those things so that on that day we don't end up like that man who's still saved, still gets into the kingdom of heaven, but has nothing more to show for it than he made it. That's one way that we know that in heaven reward is going to be uh, apparent and appreciable. It'll matter to us there. And even though God doesn't go into great detail explaining what that looks like, he definitely tells us through verses like that that it is exceptionally important that we have it because if we don't have it, we'll know that we won't have it and there won't be any way to change that. Yeah, Kevin. Is, is it fair to say then that reward in heaven is based solely on works? Yes. So everything I do has a consequence. Yes. Is that true before Christ as well? Before conversion? Yes. Because in the same way, um, God will reward us according to all of our deeds. He doesn't say just the deeds after our conversion. He says all of our deeds, every last one of them. He'll judge us for every idle word, he says. So, yeah. Um, I got a question. In sure. heaven, everything is supposed to be perfect. If different people have different awards, wouldn't reward wouldn't that cause a sense of maybe jealousy or envy in the kingdom? How do you know that heaven is supposed to be perfect? Heaven is perfect. There's no sick, there's no illness, there's no evil, there's nothing there. Jealousy is evil. Yeah. Envy is evil. So if people are getting um, different amounts of things, wouldn't that cause things like jealousy and envy? Well, once we get to heaven, while we carry our will into heaven, we definitely won't have our flesh when we get there. And that is, I think, one of the things that would cause us to... uh, to be jealous. Another thing is, we're not being measured against anybody else when we get up to heaven. I'm, reward is unique 
to each believer. So I don't, and, and because I don't know what a reward is going to look like exactly, I don't know how or why there would be a reason to be jealous. Yes. I understand what you're saying about uh, how God uses, uh, you know, innate motivations, uh, tendencies within us. True. But why would why would we need motivations beyond? Um, looking forward to being uh, one with Jesus in heaven. Why does he think that I need more of a motivation than to build the kingdom and be with him? I think in, in, in uh, the gentleman in the brown shirt when he was saying, you know, it's never been at the forefront, uh, I almost wondered if, if, if I just discounted uh, reward uh, that thinking that <clears throat> maybe not wondering what it was, but just thinking that what more do I need than Jesus? If I have Him, what else do I need? Well, you know, what use do I have for rewards? And again, I think the difficulty there comes in understanding how the rewards, what the rewards look like in heaven. I mean, Jesus tells us that we want them. That's why he tells us to store them up in heaven. And that, that word for store, that means hoard, which often has a negative connotation. But essentially, we are stockpiling for the future. But for, for what reason? What we're going to use them for? I don't know. But Jesus tells us they're awful important, and they ought to be our motivation. Does that, does that help at all, or...? Uh, I'll just trust God that uh, <laughs> I'll need him. <laughs> and I think that that's it. That's it. Trust God. Faith. Yes, sir. Would you say it's a command to be motivated by eternal rewards? Yes. So it's a sin not to. That's a good question. I haven't thought about that. I don't know. Because I see other motivations that God gives us. I mean, we see fear as a motivation. We see a gratitude for what Christ has done for us as a motivation. So... Definitely when it comes to storing up rewards for ourselves on earth, that's a sin, hoarding that. But as for storing up for reward, not storing up rewards in heaven, I don't know if, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that'd be a sin. Do it and we don't. That, to me, seems like a sin. Yeah. Well, we've been commanded to do good works, right? Yep. And those bring heavenly rewards. So it really doesn't matter what our motivation is as long as we're obedient. Yeah, up until you don't want to be obedient. 
That's where it makes the difference. And that's when the fear of the Lord comes in. Fear or motivation by reward, yeah. Either one. Or punishment. Either way. Loss. Anyone else? Okay. It's just two Bible verses I'll read without comment. Second um, Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then Philippians 3 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go ahead and shut her down here. As we've discussed, we've discussed what God defines reward to be, how God defines eternal reward, and how God distributes eternal reward. I'm going to end back with that thought that I started with, that God uses man's innate desire for reward to motivate each individual believer to live their earthly lives sacrificially for the hope of eternal gain. Thank you very much for having me, guys. All right, guys. So um, just a reminder, there were some, you know, there were a lot of questions thrown out there. Don't forget there is the question and answer box in the back. So if we didn't get your question this session, uh, go ahead and write it down there and they'll get to it um, tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do just a quick 10-minute break, stretch out, grab something to drink, and then we will um, continue. <laughs>